When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi there and welcome to the Explaining History podcast and today I'm talking a little bit um, about the development of a total war policy in Germany during the Second World War. Um, it is something that emerges in February 1943 when the full scale of the disaster at Stalingrad really is made clear to the German public. Total war um, means different things at different times during the Second World War, depending on whose side you're on. Um, for Germany in 1943, it was uh, an acceptance that of many things. Firstly, that the kind of the uh, the golden years of the war were over, that the prospect of um, a victory, if it was to happen at all, would be extremely hard won that a, a time of uh, rising living standards based on the expropriation of resources from much of Europe was uh, was over and that one of the um the the war aims uh, the key war aims of um uh, the Nazi party the third reich in general had been the um uh, annexation of Lebensraum, not just physical territory, but the resources therein, uh, which would guarantee to the German people a standard of living uh, equal to, or indeed um, superior to that of the United States. There's an excellent lecture, if you can go to Timothy Snyder's website, it's a great lecture um, on the Holocaust that he has, and he, he makes this point, he says that Um, The United States was this yardstick by which the Third Reich uh, judged uh, its own uh, material achievements and that the German people in uh, an Aryanized Europe that stretched really from uh, all the way to the the Urals uh, would have uh, access to all these resources and would be able to live better than an American. By 1943... It's clear that this isn't going to happen. There's a, a growing historical consensus that um, Operation Barbarossa was in serious trouble within the first month or two of its launching. 
uh, that the failure of the um, German army to comprehensively encircle all Soviet armies and defeat them and then put into um, practice the uh, hunger plan which would have reduced the population of the Western Soviet Union by about 30 million in terms of starvation, preparing the ground for colonisation and Lebensraum. Um, that that, uh, that failure uh, meant that um, the Soviets had time and they had um, been able to move their war industry east of the Urals, out of the range of German bombers, um, and Germany wasn't even particularly geared up for the kind of the heavy industrial bombing that the, the Allies commenced during the combined bomber offensive. So the war industry is protected and it can um, build up at these new sites like Tankograd, um, vast new tank armies which will, um, in 1942, 43 and 44, take the fight back to the Germans and uh, defeat the German army. The crunch really comes there, of course, at Stalingrad with the, the loss of the Sixth Army. And the, the loss of the Sixth Army, is a, obviously it's a powerful uh, blow to the Fuhrer, uh, but it has a, a deep emotional resonance for many Germans because it was the Sixth Army that marched into Paris. It's the Sixth Army that really... Um, is the spearhead force for the fall of France. And the Sixth Army is a kind of almost a totemic, um, symbolic uh, force that uh, upon which uh, the hopes of many Germans rest. Of course, um, between the outbreak of war in 1939 and the fall of France in um, the summer of 1940, there were a great many Germans who had huge misgivings about what the Führer was doing, whether this war was necessary and when it was going to end. Once France falls, there is a, a widespread hope that the British will see sense. Uh, you know, they've been forced to retreat to Dunkirk and the British will see sense and, um, uh, and, and sue for peace. Uh, and when this doesn't happen, obviously there's a you know, widespread uh, disquiet. But um, the war is still really being won throughout 1941 and, and um, 1942. The um, refusal uh, of Hitler to withdraw at Stalingrad, the fact that um, the main force of Army Group South um, heads towards the, the oil fields, um, of the the Baku, uh, instead of focusing on the city of Stalingrad, the um, failure to relieve the uh, troops in the um, the pocket in the castle um, that is surrounded created um, around Stalingrad um, when uh, Zhukov's armies encircle the city. Uh, and the pocket of land outside it, the failure of Manstein's rescue mission to break through, and the failure of Goering uh, to provide enough aircraft to airlift supplies into the beleaguered city um, on a, a daily basis, really reduces um, the Sixth Army to starvation. And they are um, marched to captivity, and where the majority of them are, are worked and beaten and starved to death. The letters that come home from um, Stalingrad, um, that are the ones that aren't censored, 
are critical of the Führer, they feel abandoned by the Führer, and um, there are men who describe their experience of winter uh, in the icy foxholes that are, have been dug across the city, um, wait, awaiting really death at the hands of the Soviets. And there are, you know, rumours um, are abounding around uh, major cities such as, uh, you know, Berlin and Hamburg, um, that you know something has gone terribly, terribly wrong. And the when finally uh, Goebbels um, presents himself as the face of the regime, he he's the first major Nazi really to go on record about the realities of of Stalingrad. Hitler at this point is retired really from public view and has um, he's unwell. Um, it is thought he was suffering from Parkinson's disease. He may well have had a stroke. His doctor, Dr. Theo Morel, had been prescribing him all manner of uh, pharmaceuticals, what we would essentially know as uh, kind of opiates and cocaine, um, and um, to, in order to um, help him with the immense tasks of the war. So I think for Hitler, the war had been um, quite a culture shock. He had perhaps been hoping for something a bit more open and shut, a, um, a quick and resounding lightning victory that would restore Germany and Europe. And the fact that he, ha- he um, has not just that, but a world war, and a world war that drags on and on and on, um, it's far too much for him physically to take. And it's not like the good old days of the 1930s where he could be quite indolent, and carefree in a way, um, spending his days watching films and taking walks. Now, um, the level of work and the fact that he won't allow the general staff really to be autonomous and to do and um, to make decisions on their own, um, he tries to micromanage the process. The, the level of work is too much for him and he becomes deeply physically ill during the war. There is a, a great excerpt from the diaries of Albert Speer, and I think Richard J. Evans cites this in the Third Reich at War, of a wonderful scene, I'm not saying a wonderful scene, but a revealing scene where um, Hitler was travelling in one of his uh, trains in the dining car, enjoying lunch, and they pull into a station, and across the other side of the platform is a cattle wagon full of troops coming back from the Russian front. Um, looking half-starved and uh, injured and bloodied. And um, Hitler very quickly, in, in a panic, orders the blinds to be shut down so no one can, uh, the uh, troops can't see him uh, enjoying, uh, in, enjoying fine dining. And that little story is kind of an interesting metaphor for what happens next, because... The total war policy that the Nazis introduce is one which probably economically has very little impact, certainly has very little impact on the actual war industry, but it has a great degree of symbolism in that it um, sees um, places like um, bars and restaurants and cafes and theatres and cinemas Anything deemed remotely frivolous, anything deemed to be serbs to requirements, anything deemed to be not part of the process of winning the war, these things are all shut down and the resources that they take up are diverted towards the war effort. 
lots of the resources, you know, nice cigars, bottles of champagne and things like that, and salmon and lobster, obviously embezzled by Nazi party apparatus. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. That chicks. Um, there was uh, the, na- the Nazis who proclaimed such ideological purity were um, one of the most kind of embezzling and corrupt regimes of the 20th century. Uh, the um, staff of these uh, institutions are directed either into war industries or sent to the front. Um, quite what they thought the maitre d' of a high-class restaurant in the Confirstin Dam would be able to do um, against a, a Soviet tank, it remains to be seen. But the, at the same period of time, we see um, the um, creation of the, the Volkssturm, the, um, the People's Army, um, which would be thrown against panzers during the battle for Berlin. These are you know, young boys and old men armed with uh, something like a crude Panzerfaust uh, weapon, um, and they are of uh, remarkably little use. So a lot of it is, uh, a lot of the total war policy has propaganda value. Its actual real economic or military value is pretty limited. Um, but it, the, the kind of the centrepiece of it really is Goebbels' total war speech on the 18th of February 1943. The speech was made at the Sports Palace in Berlin, and it wasn't made to um, the ordinary uh, German general public. Um, Goebbels knew he couldn't rely on public uh, um, public goodwill. He knew he couldn't rely on a buoyant mood. And so instead, um, they handpick um, Nazi party uh, members, the party faithful, um, those who are still committed um, or those who can at least put on a, a good show, to have a kind of a, uh, a, a, a rousing um, uh, response to the otherwise uh, disastrous news about Stalingrad. 
Goebbels in this speech really has to pull out all the stops. He has to put into practice everything he's learned as a state propagandist over the years and really attempt to kind of emotionally connect with the German people. He starts off by referring to uh, an event on the 30th of January where Nazi party members had been able to listen to um, the last radio broadcast from Stalingrad and vice versa. And he says it's probably not true that... um, the uh, defiant fighters at Stalingrad for the last time had, had sort of uh, said said their Heil Hitlers and uh, vowed to struggle on for the for the Führer, which doesn't really um, ring true with uh, what we know about the letters that many of them were writing at the time and the level of demoralisation. However, he continues. I do not know how many millions of people are listening to me over the radio tonight, at home and at the front. I want to speak to you all from the depths of my heart to the depths of yours. I believe that the entire German people has a passionate interest in what I have to say tonight. I will therefore speak with holy seriousness, openness, as the hour demands. The German people, raised, educated and disciplined by National Socialism, can bear the whole truth. It knows the gravity of the situation. Its leadership can therefore demand the necessary hard measures, yes, even the hardest measures. We Germans are armed against weakness and uncertainty. The blows and misfortunes of the war only give us additional strength, firm resolve, and a spiritual fighting will to overcome the difficulties and the obstacles with revolutionary elan. So he knew that there was no point in lying to the German people, that the secret about Stalingrad was out, that the announcements had been made, and there was no point in not telling the German people the gravity of the situation. And he felt really he could turn it to his advantage by actually telling the German people that um, the war had entered its most serious phase and that the fight was going to be incredibly hard. In fact, perhaps perhaps even uh, potentially overwhelming, that he could then draw from the German people the right kinds of sacrifices that he hoped for. He said, we face a a serious military challenge in the East. The crisis is at the moment a broad one, similar but not identical in many ways to that of the previous winter. Later we will discuss the causes. Now we must accept things as they are, and discover and apply the ways and the means to turn things again in our favour. There's no point in disputing the seriousness of the situation. I do not want to give you a false impression of the situation that could lead to false conclusions. Perhaps giving the German people a false sense of security that is altogether inappropriate in the present situation. And so he um, go, he explains in a kind of a rather misleading way what has gone wrong, and he basically puts it down to the uh, a lot of it down to the Jews, um, and that the and that communism is all around that the 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 dangerous Bolsheviks. He even refers to um, what's happening um, overseas. And he says that, that uh, England has become a, a Bolshevik country, uh, and that um, he said he says. In a recent by-election for the House of Commons, the independent, that is, communist candidate, got 10,741 of the 22,371 votes cast. This was in a direct uh, a district that had formerly been a conservative stronghold. 
Within a short time, 10,000 voters, nearly half, had been lost to the communists. Of course, this is a total nonsense. Um, but he was, he was basically trying to present there being a global communist threat and that um, the danger that uh, faces um, Germany is, is, is immense. Total war is the demand of the hour. We must put an end to the bourgeois attitude that we have also seen in this war. Wash my back, but don't get me wet. Every sentence is met with growing applause and agreement. Sorry, paraphrasing. Um, the danger we're facing is enormous. So this this whole business of uh, he refers to there being a bourgeois attitude during the war. Wash my back, but don't get me wet. He's saying, you know, the, the, those people that have been at home enjoying themselves while well, our fighting troops have been out on the front, that has to has to end. The Nazis um, were very much about kind of pursuing this sort of Spartan warlike attitude. I mean, Hitler was keen during the 1930s to prevent uh, Germany from having too many imports of nice luxury things because really he thought it wasn't good for um, the German people, especially if you were going to be taking them to war again. It's time to get the slackers moving. They must be shaken out of their comfortable ease. We cannot wait until they come to their senses. That might be too late. The alarm must sound throughout the nation. Millions of hands must get to work throughout the country. The measures we have taken, the ones we will now take, which I shall discuss later in this speech, are critical for our whole public and private life. The individual may have to make great sacrifices, but they are tiny when compared to the sacrifices he would have to make if his refusal brought down uh, on us the greatest national disaster. It is better to operate at the right time and wait until the disease has taken root. Or may not complain to the doctor or sue him for bodily injury. He cuts not to kill but to save the patient's life. So, you know, the, um, he, again, he's referring to people that aren't on the front or working in munitions industries, referring to them as slackers and lazy um, and as kind of freeloaders on the rest of the nation. This idea, he says, you know, um, it's better to operate at the right time and to wait until the disease is taken root, we must kind of cut out these lazy bourgeois attitudes uh, of indolence and, and luxury. Um, the problem, of course, with all of this is that Albert Speer, when he took over um, the um, job of Minister for Munitions from Fritz Todd, had discovered institutional chaos and discovered a very backwards war industry that was not performing as it should do. And it was, it's only by 1944, it's only a year after the Sports Palace speech, that German war production really has reached its height. And it is, it's too little too late. Now you have uh, a uh, United States, a USSR, and an entire British Empire producing munitions at a rate far beyond anything that the Third Reich can keep up with. Um, and again, it is here really. This is a key um, battlefield where the war is lost for Germany. And it doesn't matter how many rousing speeches that Goebbels makes. It doesn't matter how many cafes they close down, or how many young men uh, or old age pensioners are forced into the Volkssturm. The writing is on the wall from at least from 1943 onwards in terms of munitions production. And so part of the 
point of the um, Sports Palace speech is to keep Germany not necessarily winning, but at least fighting on till the end. The regime had, uh, for the, the kind of, it's the own sort of perverse logic of Nazis, and the re- regime had uh, as much invested in keeping the country fighting to the death as it did attempting victory. Anyway, I hope you found that interesting and useful. Um, I'm adding quite a lot of free downloads to the Explaining History site, so go to the free stuff page. There is plenty of stuff on there about Nazi Germany, um, uh, which I'm sure you'll find useful. And um, there are new titles on the way, uh, so wait and look out for those. And I'll catch you on the next Explaining History podcast. Thanks very much. Bye-bye. 